The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Fantasy Football Today. Another episode here where we're talking about running backs in new systems. And I think the Lions system's very interesting. The Chargers system's very interesting. So new offensive coordinators, new schemes. What does it mean for the existing running backs? Adam Azer with Jamie Eisenberg and Heath Cummings. Chris Towers will join us in a little bit. Uh, We are also going to talk about the Sam Darnold trade. We did a bonus pod on that yesterday, so make sure you listen to that. But we'll give you fresh thoughts from Heath Cummings, who did not get to talk about it yesterday. Heath, give me fresh thoughts on the Sam Darnold trade. Uh, Mixed feelings. I'm happy for Sam Darnold that he gets a new opportunity with outstanding weapons and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey. And and it's really a, a great chance, a creative offensive system. Um, it seemed like everyone was a little more excited for DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey than I was because like statistically Sam Darnold has been the worst quarterback that still gets to be a starting quarterback over the past three seasons in the NFL. Um, he ranks dead last in almost every category amongst quarterbacks that have thrown at least a thousand passes. So I, I don't know how to feel about this for DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson, but I, I'm happy like for dynasty purposes, if you've got Darnold on a super flex league or if you've held on to him because you had hope, there's still a little bit of hope left. And there's a chance. I mean, we knew he was going to escape Adam Gase anyway, but there's a chance escaping Adam Gase, escaping the Jets, getting these good weapons. Stan Darnold still just 23 years old. Maybe now he he turns into what we thought he could be when he was drafted, but Man, he's been bad. I would like an answer to this. Who's worse, Sam Darnold or Daniel Jones? Um, well, <laughs> Daniel Jones does not meet right. the 1,000 attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, but for fantasy, I think it's quite obvious. No, no, not for fantasy. Not for fantasy. For fantasy, it's obviously Darnold. I, I don't <laughs> think we know yet. Okay. Um, I agree. As far as like for the NFL. Yeah, that sounds right. What's up, Jamie? Hey. Not such a great game. It was a very disappointing game. Very disappointing. It was very disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, kudos to Baylor, though. I mean, not disappointing for them and their fans, obviously. But no. uh, um, but obviously, you know, I think a lot of people expect it to be a little closer. So, um, But it was, it was fun in the second half. You know, when end of the first half, second half, you know, when Gonzaga cut it to 10. Yeah, 10. I agree. It was like, oh, got a game here at halftime. Here comes Gonzaga. But no, they were the they were not the better team, not even close. Uh, and we have a winner. I will announce our winner in just a little bit. Here's your tweet of the day. It comes from Rich Semini, who covers the Jets for ESPN. Jets recent first round picks. 2018, San Darnold traded. 2017, Jamal Adams traded. 2016, Darren Lee traded. 2015, Leonard Williams traded. 2014, Calvin Pryor traded. 2013, D. Milner cut. 2013, uh, 2013, I guess they had two. Sheldon Richardson traded. 
2012, Quentin Copel's cut. 2011, Muhammad Wilkerson cut. That's not how you build a franchise. That is not no. good. So sorry, All Zach the, Wilson. The the return they got for Adams is going to help. Uh, the return they got for Darnold is okay, but you know, given what the market was for him, not bad. Get us that another two. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. You know, remember was it last year or no, it was two years ago when the when the Dolphins traded for Josh Rosen? That was uh, they two, traded a two two years ago, and, second round. And they pick. traded two and a seven for a five or something like that. Yeah, we thought at the time, hey, great job by the Dolphins there, you know, getting a, a former top pick for for a second rounder, basically. And it was actually it was a great job by Arizona getting a second round pick for Josh Rosen. So, well, it uh, depends. That that pick was Andy Isabella. <laughs> well, it's still a good trade, though. <laughs> and, and I don't think we've seen near as much evidence that Josh Rosen is bad as we have the Sam Darnold's bad. I think there's probably a reason for that, I, I, you know. But <laughs> but maybe it was a great trade by the Jets getting uh, something for Sam Darnold. We will see. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to a new chapter for Darnold. I, I know a lot of people in New York still think he's got a lot of talent. And uh, again, we'll break down this trade in a little bit. It is Masters Week. That means CBS Sports HQ is your home for round-the-clock coverage from Augusta. That includes tournament picks, round-by-round matchups, highlights, leaderboard updates, and we even have our pal from the First Cut podcast, Kyle Porter, on site providing up-to-the-minute updates so you'll know everything there is to know from Augusta. If you're wondering what CBS Sports HQ is, it's our 24-7, 365 days a year sports news network. How do you get it? It's easy and it's free. You just go to cbssports.com, the CBS Sports mobile app, or fire up the CBS Sports app on your connected TV and watch yourself become the most in-the-know sports fan in your group text, which is nice. And right now, Fernando Tatis hurt his shoulder, uh, Chris is on HQ talking about it right now because Chris covers fantasy baseball. So that's what we do. We have breaking news. We give you fantasy reaction, non-fantasy reaction. It's all on CBS Sports HQ. Guys, let's uh, give a round of applause. Congratulate Tracy Mitstarfer. Tracy won our March Madness pool with the Baylor win. Tracy actually finished in a tie with Ryan Parchinski, but Tracy had the better prediction of the final score actually or the total points i think it came within two points so tracy is in the podcast league and also will be getting some more prizes and tracy will reach out to you about that so there's really no other news other than this bill belichick news that he ignored scouts who wanted aj brown and debo samuel instead of Nikhil harry and belichick drafted <laughs> harry <laughs> that's according to albert breer of sports illustrated hey but other than that it's just sam darnold uh, to the panthers and i know chris downgraded dj moore well, wait. Yeah. Do you think AJ Brown would be AJ Brown if he went to the Patriots, or he would be Nikhil Harry? I think he'd be AJ Brown. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I mean, their track record with receivers has been so awful drafting guys that it's hard to say. And then, you know, the the quarterback situation being what it was last year. But he would have had Brady for a year. Right. So hopefully that would help. But ugh. <laughs> just wonder it's just nobody you shouldn't go to New England just a bad bad team don't know what they're doing um, for for drafted receivers yes for, yeah no. obviously kidding there <clears throat> but no and also I haven't had a lot of luck with receivers okay Heath so did you move the receiver the, the you know what no forget that we've talked so much about that we talked about it on FFT and 5 we talked about it on the bonus pod yesterday no. what about the Jets guys what no, it was my answer. I didn't. You didn't move, move them? Okay. Them. 
No. This is this is not a huge fantasy impact trade. It looks like. What about the Jets guys though? Uh, they're like I said yesterday on the bonus pod. They're more likely now to have a rookie quarterback under center in Week One. Uh, what do you think about the Jets pass catchers? I don't. I didn't move them either because is it more likely that their rookie quarterback is better or worse than Sam Darnold? Don't know. Uh, who knows? No one even knows how good Sam Darnold is. Um, I'm just sticking with the same expectation. I think, Jamie, generally speaking, I wonder how influenced people are going to be by what Justin Herbert did last year. Because typically, rookie quarterbacks aren't really that great. Like, Baker Mayfield had a great rookie quarterback season, and it wasn't really that great. Joe Burrow, honestly, I don't think he was really that great, but he threw 40 times a game. Justin Herbert was truly great. And... I wonder what the expectations will be, especially since they they relaxed the pass interference rules and the offensive holding rules, and we saw an offensive uptick last year. But what the expectations will be for Lawrence and Wilson, who seems like everybody thinks he's going to, and whoever the 49ers take three, you know, and Justin Fields, you know. Rookie quarterbacks, though, are people going to, to how do you think they're going to value them this year? I, I think the guys that are going to walk in starting opportunities are going to be looked at with... Um, you know, the, the, the potential of doing what those guys did a year ago. And that's probably unrealistic, but that's just the nature of how people view sports and view players and view situations, you know, year over year. So I think if you go in with the understanding of, Hey, if I draft Jalen hurts, maybe I'll take Trevor Lawrence as the second quarterback, or maybe the other opposite end of that. If I take a veteran guy like Tom Brady, I'll take, you know, a, a young quarterback like Zach Wilson, just to see pairing, you know, the, maybe the downfalls of the, uh, of the older guy versus the upside of the younger guy. But I think more importantly though, for Zach Wilson in particular, it's what is he going to do for those guys? Because, you know, Corey Davis is still somebody's going to get drafted as uh, a number three receiver. Jamison Crowder is going to get drafted as a number three, number four receiver. Denzel Mims kind of in the same situation, but um, you know, you got to give them some, some time to grow with that guy. And and hopefully there's uh, a chance for them to put up decent numbers, but, you know, I, I think in regards to the Jets, you know, they still have so many holes to fill. Um, quarterback and running back being the two biggest ones for fantasy. All right. Any final thoughts, Heath? You want to talk about uh, the Panthers, Christian McCaffrey, or anything that you think this changes anything offensively for them? I don't. I don't really. Like, I think it's – you said Chris downgraded DJ Moore, I think. I, I think it's more likely this year, if we're just looking at the evidence we have, that Sam Darnold's worse than Teddy Bridgewater. Um, so it may, maybe it's a slight negative, but you don't have to be a very good quarterback to do what Christian McCaffrey needs you to do. So I don't right. think it's going to impact him very much. I, I don't, they weren't exactly an elite offense before. So I, it's not like there's a big downgrade there. I, I think this for me, at least this whole move and this whole thing, like it's interesting. I'm happy for Darnold. I'm sad for Teddy, but it's just kind of a wait and see, like we've got lots to learn. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like Bridgewater. And this is not taking away from him, but it's not like he was the one that enhanced these guys. You know, the, right. they, they made plays and he was good for them. The hope is that Darnold is better for them. He could clearly be worse because of what we've seen from him over the course of his career. But hopefully he comes in and can take advantage of Joe Brady's system, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson again, McCaffrey. And I don't think they're done. And I think that's the bigger thing for me, at least when it comes to Moore and Anderson, is now this puts them in a position to add another pass catcher. Whereas all along, it looked like they were going to go quarterback. Now I've seen some mock drafts where they still go defense or offensive line. 
Uh, they could be the, the team that pulls the trigger first on, on Sertan as the top corner in the draft. They also can see if, you know, uh, Sewell or Slater fall to them at eight and they can go that route. But if they decide, hey, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, make D- Darnold as, as comfortable as possible with another playmaker, Pitts probably being the more likely of the, of the, or over the receivers, then that changes everything, I think, for what the receivers look like fantasy-wise. What I really am interested to know is what the routes will look like for Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, because Robbie Anderson went from a guy who was a downfield guy, high A dot to a more underneath guy or shorter routes, let's say that. And last time he played with Sam Darnold, he was running very different routes than what we saw last year. And if you're wondering, well, what kind of quarterback is Sam Darnold in terms of his, you know, it's a dot for receivers and it's intended air yards per pass attempt. Heath, do you call it a dot for quarterbacks? No, you know, because they're not. It's not targets, but we, it's the same thing. It's how far they're throwing. I mean, it could the ball. be. It could be average depth of throw. Yeah, there you go. Uh, intended air yards per pass attempt. Right. Uh, yeah. It's been very different for Darnold in his three seasons. So yeah, I guess uh, I guess I'm just curious because last year a total flip where Robbie Anderson was the PPR specialist and DJ Moore was the non PPR guy. You know, a low catch guy. And that I think could easily change, and we wouldn't really know. So, so we'll see. Um, more importantly, though, you got to get yourself all right. You got to treat yourself, right? Get yourself something nice, and don't break the bank. Get yourself an awesome watch, something that you're gonna love wearing, that you're gonna get a lot of compliments on, something that won't cost a fortune. Get a movement watch, and get fifteen percent off, free shipping, and free returns. Right now at movement, well, it's MVMT, MVMT.com slash FFT. That is MVMT.com slash FFT. I don't have a movement watch. I have two movement watches. This is one of them. Very, see, can we see it? Very nice. Uh, sorry about the light there, the glare, but it's a very nice watch. Um, I get compliments on both of my movement watches and Less than $200. You go to a department store, you're talking four or $500 for a watch like this. Uh, you're going to pay a fraction of the price at mvmt.com slash FFT because they were built online and own their process from start to finish. You get a beautiful watch shipped right to your door for free. And if you don't love it, you can ship it right back for free. The toughest part is figuring out which one you want. You go to the website, you look at all the watches. We all have them, by the way. They're great. There are so many watches that you want. Get more than one. That's what I'm saying. They're not that expensive. I had one for a couple years, and I got another one just a few months ago. Uh, Now Movement, by the way, has expanded into blue light glasses that protect your eyes from your screens, minimalist jewelry, and more style essentials that don't break the bank, all designed out of their California headquarters. So if you want to elevate your look with style that doesn't break the bank, join the Movement. Get 15% off today. With free shipping and free returns, just go to this URL, M, both times it's M as in Mary, mvmt.com slash FFT. Again, that's mvmt.com slash FFT. All right, the topic today is running backs with new systems, but before we get to that, I wanted to throw out some ADP questions to you. I looked at NFC average draft position since uh, March 22nd, which was after most of the big free agency news. It was after Galladay for example, which came kind of late. So tell me what you think about this. Ready? Cam Akers ahead of Aaron Jones. Cam Akers 10th, Aaron Jones 12th. Jamie. I don't like it, and I love Cam Akers. I think there's a big opportunity for him, but 
you know, Aaron Jones hopefully takes advantage of Jamal Williams not being there. Now, he could lose some rushing opportunities to A.J. Dillon, which I, I think would be smart for the Packers to, uh, you know, give A.J. Dillon more of an opportunity. But Jamal Williams was the guy that was taking Aaron Jones off the field in some passing situations. And now hopefully Jones takes advantage of that because he could be special in the passing game. So I'd much rather have Aaron Jones than Cam Akers. I'll understand the upside of what Akers can be, but you know, don't pass up on what Jones has been the last two years, which has been a top four running back each of the last two seasons. Yeah, Jamie was uh, was very kind there. I think, like I, I think there's a chance that Akers could be better than Jones, but I don't know why you would draft it that way. Jones has been awesome, and if anything, his situation's probably a little bit better now. I I actually think you could make an argument for Jones as a top four or five pick. All right, now next. Next up is DK Metcalf, 26th, ahead of A.J. Brown, 29th. I don't think you guys would do this. DK Metcalf ahead of A.J. Brown. Heath? Yeah, it's. Um, I would rather have A.J. Brown, but some of that is also uh, projecting, obviously. I, I'm project. We talked about this a couple of days, yesterday, I guess. I'm projecting A.J. Brown to have a career high and to really dominate targets because Corey Davis and Jonu Smith are gone. And I'm projecting DK Metcalf to kind of be in a similar situation to what he has been, or at least what he was last year. Um, but on a like, they're both incredible. And if I'm wrong, and Metcalf's the one that sees more targets, and Brown stays at his normal rate, then this is probably going to be true. But yeah, I would definitely take Brown over Metcalf. The the thing you got to be a little nervous about with DK Metcalf now, and this factors into anybody doing any sort of drafting or trading, is Antonio Brown still looming. And we know that Russell Wilson was thrown with them last year. If he goes there to what could be based on the second half and based on how this offseason has been a lower volume passing attack in Seattle with them bringing back Chris Carson, I don't know how three guys can be so successful. DK Metcalf will still be fine. Tyler Lock will still be fine. But if three guys are there, they're not going to be as good as they were a year ago. So it might be a good time to sell DK Metcalf if you can. Not that he's, again, he's going to be great even if there's another guy there. But better than A.J. Brown, I just don't see it. It's kind of funny because um, like all the smoke on Brown would be Seattle or Tampa Bay. You look at Tennessee, they're the team that could really use Antonio Brown. <laughs> Put him next day. A.J. Brown is a number two wide receiver, but I don't think there's, they're going to do that. Yeah, I, I think my guess is Antonio Brown at this point is going to go somewhere where he wants to be happy. And I don't know if Tennessee is the type of place where they throw the ball under 500 times that he's going to be happy. So... Mm. I don't know if Seattle is either, but he has a relationship with Russell Wilson, so that changes things. I think the bigger issue is that on our rankings page, both of them are A. Brown. And if you have A. Brown, Tennessee wide receiver, I think that's going to be... It's gonna be very confusing. People are gonna be just starting Antonio with somebody Brown. else too, right? <laughs> but like a a, a worse player. In Carolina, it's D Moore and D Moore. David Moore. Yes, and D Moore. Oh. definitely going to nominate D Moore <laughs> in a salary cap draft this year. <laughs> All right, next up, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are in this average draft position. They are going 33rd and 34th overall. They are just behind Miles Sanders and David Montgomery and just ahead of Josh Jacobs, who is 36th overall. So it goes Sanders, Montgomery, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Josh Jacobs. Obviously, Jamie, we don't know the teams for these guys, but just for fun, what do you think about these two highly touted rookies going uh Basically, at the end of round three and in between Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, and and just well, just after them, just before Josh Jacobs. I mean, the hope would be 
that the three teams that will be looking at those two guys, which would be the Dolphins, the Steelers, and the Jets, that they end up going in the first round and give you the opportunity to step in and be, you know, featured options. All three of those teams, the Dolphins probably the lesser of the three because, uh, you know, I guess of what Miles Gaskin did a year ago, but I don't know how much the Dolphins would look at that. But in any event, you know, I think all three teams would give those guys a chance to be featured backs. And the Steelers, you know what typically has been a Mike Tomlin running back, which is a great situation. Um, the Dolphins, based on what they're doing and building up this team, building up their offensive line the last couple of seasons, that'd be a great situation. And uh, the Jets would be the interesting one. But, you know, again, opportunity there for a LaFleur offense with a defensive head coach and, you know, a young quarterback. I'm, I'm sure they'd give him an opportunity to be successful. So uh, that's probably the range you're going to end up going anyway. Uh, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. Um, if they end up in those spots now, the risk is clearly they end up in a timeshare and you're like, ugh, why did I spend a third round pick on a guy who is going to have to earn his way onto the field? Could be a Jonathan Taylor situation. Could be worse. Chris, come on, man. Get, get, lose the blazer. This is a podcast. I know you just got done with it with HQ. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to take the time to take it off and then it would look <laughs> weird if I was just wearing a button down. So, you know, I. I wanted to class up the right. joint. You got you got these two guys wearing their hats inside. All right. I know. Put your sunglasses like, on. Come Heath. on, guys. Come on, What's yeah. going on? <laughs> All right. I'll throw the next one to uh to Chris here. We're doing some ADP review. We're looking at NFC ADP since March twenty second, which was after most of the major free agents had signed. Uh, Keenan Allen. All right, we just talked about a group of running backs, Chris, uh going basically between thirty and thirty-six. Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Josh Jacobs. They're all being taken ahead of Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson. So Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson, two very safe, clear number one ride receivers on their offense who in PPR leagues at least are consistently top 10, top 12 guys uh, going after those five running backs. What do you think? Uh... I guess it makes sense. You know, I think one thing that we're going to see a lot of this year is people trying to get two really good starting running backs that they feel good about. And for me, that runs out around the 21st spot in the uh, rankings at running back. And, you know, if I don't end up with a wide receiver until my fourth pick, I'm actually not, you know, I'm not going to be super thrilled about my wide receivers, but I think it'll be okay. So I get why maybe a Keenan Allen might be dropping down. And I think he's probably just a little undervalued every year in drafts. Cause he's not, he was a little bit older. He doesn't have like the wow factor that someone like a DK Metcalf does. But um, you know, if I end up with him as my number one wide receiver, cause I waited until the, the third or fourth round, I'm actually pretty fine with that. Yeah. Heath, uh, Keenan Allen, you want to, Hop on there, Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson after Sanders, Montgomery, Najee Harris, ETN, Josh Jacobs. Like a couple of those backs I could definitely understand. Um, I don't think all five of them should probably go before. And I I actually have a little bit of separation between Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson. Um, just because I think, I think there's a better chance that Allen could give us a top five PPR season than what Robinson could. You look at the kind of pace that, Allen was on the beginning or before he got hurt last year, 122 catches, 1200 yards and 10 touchdowns. Um, so yeah, I, I would take Allen ahead of those guys for the most part, but I could see a lot of those running backs over Robinson. Allen had a similar trend in 2019, right? 
he started off like his, you know, he doesn't have hair on his head, but he started off like his proverbial head was on fire. But and, yes, and, uh, I, I, yeah. Um, but the pace I used last year was actually through his first 13 games. Oh, okay. Okay. Like it was almost the entire, it was every complete yeah. game that he played. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he only played what 20% of the snaps in week 14, 36, 36. Yeah. Okay. So that, was that his 16 game pace or a 17 game pace? That was his 16 oh, game okay, pace. Good. So he'd be even like, we're talking about 130 <laughs> catches, 1300 yards and 11 touchdowns. Yeah. I think I have him projected for the fifth most catches in the NFL. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you in a moment, we'll tell you in a moment why his new offensive coordinator, Keenan Allen's new offensive coordinator might be really good for Keenan Allen, but then I'll tell you why he might be really bad for Justin Herbert. Uh-oh. <laughs> Cue the scary mute. Do I have the scary music uh, queued up here? Uh, wait. That was great. Great production. I, that's why I need someone to run the board for me. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here on Fantasy Football today. When we come back, offensive corners, new systems for these running backs. After this. What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And we're back looking at running backs and new systems here. So the teams I think we'll highlight are Atlanta with Arthur Smith, Detroit hiring Anthony Lynn, who has had a 50-catch running back Every year, he's been an offensive coordinator or head coach. Uh, well, let's see. Who else? Jacksonville with Daryl Bevel as offensive coordinator. He will be calling plays, even though Urban Meyer will have a heavy influence. Joe Lombardi going to the Chargers. Maybe the Dolphins we'll talk about. They promoted from within. They have two offensive coordinators. Their offense should be twice as good. Minnesota with Clint Kubiak. The Jets with Mike LaFleur. Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia, maybe Matt Canada in Pittsburgh. He's the he was the quarterbacks coach. Shane Waldron going from the Rams to the Seahawks. He's their new offensive coordinator. Um, that's my, and Todd Downing in Tennessee. Well, right. I like the ones we started with. Like we let's yeah. spend a lot of time on like the first two or three <laughs> that you said. And when we get to the Dolphins' two-headed offensive coordinator, I'm just going to let you guys talk. Okay. <laughs> uh, we also cannot talk about the Eagles because when I say Nick, his last name. It, Siri from my phone pops up all the time and she just talked. She yeah. just gave me the Eagle schedule. So thanks for nothing, Siri. Do you have Adam? Do you have you, you're just using headphones or do you have speakers for what? So it would be fun for just us to just start shouting Siri on <laughs> you just headphones, <laughs> just headphones. Um, okay. So then Jamie, where do you want to start? What's the most interesting one for you? Um, probably Joe Lombardi. Good. Let's do it. What do you think about Joe Lombardi in for the Chargers? 
He has been an offensive coordinator for a year and a half with Detroit, 2014 and 2015. It did not go well. And I want to read this quote when he got fired in 2015 from NFL.com. Lombardi's place in Detroit always felt like an awkward fit. He struggled to adapt a Saints-like offense in Detroit based on timing and precision. Matthew Stafford has never mastered the finer points of the position like Breeze. This was back in 2015, by the way. And he regressed in an offense built around short passing. So it was, it was bad. Um, and by the way, when you look at Justin Herbert, I know where this conversation was supposed to be about running backs, but whatever. When you look at Justin Herbert, if you look at his, his best games in terms of passer rating, they are very closely aligned to his highest intended air yards per attempt games. Basically, when he threw the ball downfield more, he was more successful. When later in the year they got more conservative, he struggled. I don't know what kind of offense Lombardi's going to run, but if it's what, like, like he, what he ran in Detroit, I don't know if that's going to be a good, good thing. So what's your take on Lombardi and the, with the Chargers? That was the post-Calvin Detroit, correct? No. That was Calvin Johnson's second to last season and last season. But it is worth noting, Golden Tate had a 1,300-yard season in 2014 under Joe Lombardi, and he was better than Calvin Johnson. And then Calvin Johnson's last year was the year that Lombardi got fired. I just wonder, you know, I'm, I'm hoping at least that Lombardi, you know, learns from his mistakes, you know, like you see some coaches do and realizes that he can't run the same exact system that he was trying to bring from New Orleans to Detroit and more adapts to what his talent is with the Chargers. Now, that being said, Herbert may be able to handle that offense and be fine. But I think, you know, uh, you mentioned Anthony Lynn as a guy that's got a 50 catch running back every stop that he's been as a coordinator or coach. Uh, that also speaks to the guys that he's they had to you know deal with. And Austin Eckler clearly is still going to be a factor in the passing game. That'd be stupid if he's not. Um, so I think he's fine. I think he has top five potential in PPR still. Uh, top 10 in non-PPR as well. So he's a guy that should be a first-round pick. And then we'll see, once again, who wins the second job. Is it Justin Jackson or Joshua Kelly? Hopefully it's Kelly. You know, he's a guy that I liked a lot last year. Uh, but I think both running backs will be fine. I think, you know, again, Eckler's a, a top-tier talent, and Kelly's a guy you could take with a late-round pick at this point. Yeah, Chris, I know you're going to love this, and I, who knows how much this matters. It was it was six years ago, seven years ago, when he was the coordinator for Detroit. But just just for fun here, Reggie Bush, Theo Riddick, and Joyke Bell had 108 catches that year. And I know you love Austin Eckler. So if they implement that same that, a similar offense, it would seem to be very good for Eckler, who you have as a top five back. Yeah, and you know, I I think this is a situation where I don't think the offense is likely to change very much. Like Jamie said, even with you know a new coaching staff, Justin Herbert was actually he had the fourth highest uh, rate of passes that didn't travel beyond the line of scrimmage in the NFL, which is actually pretty surprising. He was twenty second in rate of of passes that traveled at least fifteen and twenty yards, which is you know when I think of Justin Herbert's rookie season, the things that stand out to me are. Like you said, Adam, all the deep passes, you know, the the success that he had throwing to guys like Jalen Guyton down the field. Um, but yeah, I would expect we're going to see a ton of Austin Eckler. He is one of the rare running backs who, when you throw to him, it shouldn't just be as your last resort. You know, it's not like J.D. McKissick last year in Washington. Where they're averaging JD McKissick. Well, no, I'm just off playing, that like, guy a little bit. It's not. A, it's not one of these situations where you're you're averaging five yards per. You Leonard Fournette in Tampa Bay. You know, you're not averaging five yards per attempt when you throw to, to Austin Eckler. You can use him down the field. You can use him. Uh, he makes plays after the catch really well. So, you know, if he doesn't get 
90 targets. I think it's probably, you know, if he plays 17 games, if he doesn't get 117 games, I think it's probably a failure of this offense, given that they lost Hunter Henry. Um, and given that outside of Keenan Allen, they pretty much have an offense, you know, full of big play guys, not necessarily guys you want to have a huge target volume with. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I have Austin Eckler as my number three running back in PPR. I think he's going to have a monster season. Well, based on what he did last year, he, he he played 10 games. One of them was with Tyrod Taylor, and he left two others early with injury. So I gave him seven fully healthy games with Justin Herbert. You take those seven you games. Have music for Azer stats. You give him a like, 60. How do we not have Azer stats music? Uh, I, I'm not into that. You I give mean, us, I, th- I think taking out the injured games makes sense. Yeah. Heath, you just did that with Keenan Allen. So you, yeah. don't, you don't have a... You don't have a leg to stand on there. You we give him 16 games no, at least, that pace. To be an Azer stat, you must have at least two qualifications, not just the injured games we're <laughs> all taking fair. out you the gotta, you gotta get you got to get multiple filters. Well, Taylor didn't yes. throw to him, you know, but you give him you, those seven healthy games with, uh, with Justin Herbert. He was on pace for more than 100 catches, and in terms of PPR points per game, he would have been fifth, and yeah. that was with scoring two touchdowns. In those seven games, so yeah, that, so that on pace for four touchdowns, and he still would have been RB five. You gotta hope game. that he's durable. I mean, you know, That's first season thing. without yeah. Gordon being the featured guy, the lead guy, and he didn't perform well injury wise. You know, so hopefully he stays healthy and can prove it. He's where's our next offensive coordinator stop? Let's just keep the connection. We'll go from the Chargers to the guy who left the Chargers. And Anthony Lynn, and like I love, love, love this for DeAndre Swift. And I was just looking at it. There, the last year, Washington, JD McKissick, <laughs> led the NFL with 161 targets to their running backs. And that's a little misleading because McKissick played the slot like 13% of his snaps or something. He was a slot receiver more than any other running back last year. But they, they targeted their running backs 161 times. Anthony Lynn's offense the last three years with the Chargers has averaged 163 targets to running backs. That's pretty good. It's very good. That's great. So how concerned should we be about Jamal Williams? They didn't give him hardly anything, did they? I don't remember. I mean, for running back contracts, it's it's on par with what a high-end backup would get. Um, like I, if you, I think I, I have Jamal Williams at 72 targets, which might be a career high and that still leaves plenty for Deandre Swift to be a top 10 PPR back. The problem for Swift is going to be how much Jamal Williams takes away from him and the fact that he's on a bad team. And so how many scoring opportunities will he get? His receptions should be fine. Like he could lead all running backs in receptions would not be a huge surprise given the Coach, and let's not forget the running back coach, Deuce Daly, who's a guy that... You oh, know, you mean on the Lions? Influence. Huh? You mean lead the Lions running backs in receptions? No, I mean, you could lead the league oh. in, in okay. receptions at the position. I, I I don't think he will, but it wouldn't shock me if he did. Sure. Um, but, you know, because, I mean, you look at it. Look at this receiving core. It's still miserable, <laughs> you know. So, uh, Rashad Perryman, Tyrell Williams, and, and Quinta Cephas, uh, as, as good as TJ Hawkinson may be, um, Swift could lead them in catches, lead them in targets. I mean, he could be, you know, Derek Goss would be running for his life. So in panic mode for a non-mobile quarterback, this is a perfect situation for Swift. But how many touchdowns will he score? How many rushing yards will he get? How many times they can be playing with a lead? You know, those are things that are going to factor in. And then you still have Jamal Williams and on Johnson there. You know, I don't think we should overlook on Johnson having a role still uh, because he's still a talented player. So um, 
Swift, like we said, or at least like, like I said, when we were talking about second year running backs is the one I think that loses the most based on where he finished last year. But Anthony Lynn is great for him in that regard and that what he can do for this offense and for hopefully Swift's game, Swift's role in the passing. Uh, the contract two years, I believe it can max out at $7.5 million. So not a lot of money for Jamal Williams. And in terms of touchdowns, it was surprising to see how many rushing touchdowns the Lions scored last year. This is usually not a strength of their team. They scored 17 last year. That's as many as they had combined in 2018 and 2019. So they had not, Detroit had not had more than 11 rushing touchdowns by running backs since 2013. And that was the last time they had a thousand yard rusher, which was Reggie Bush. They've been a horrible run offense, low touchdowns, low yards, Last year, those 17 rushing touchdowns was very surprising. Just from running backs. Just from running backs. Uh, anything else to say about the Detroit situation? Shall we move on? Just, you you love the the wide receivers that DeAndre Swift is playing with. Right. If you want to see him catch some passes. Jacksonville. Daryl Bevel calling plays. He, he is a very experienced offensive coordinator. He's been one since 2006. Urban Meyer... Obviously, we'll have a big hand in this offense. Just Does this mean anything to you, Jamie, that Daryl Bevel originally was a workhorse running back type of guy? It actually started with Chester Taylor in his first season, in Bevel's first season as, a, as an offensive coordinator. Taylor had 303 carries for the Vikings. Then it was Adrian Peterson. Then over to Seattle was Marshawn Lynch. In the, his later days with Seattle and then with Detroit, he has not had the opportunity, really, I think, to uh, make someone a workhorse. But that's what he used to be. Does that matter, or is it just too long ago to matter? A little different NFL at the time, you know, with uh, how, how things have been called and how passing games have evolved. But this, I think, just comes down to Trevor Lawrence. You know, how, how good is he right away? How much are they going to you know put faith in him to, you know, be the the – the catalyst of this offense. You would think he is because of what he showed you at Clemson and what the investment is in him as opposed to, hey, let's let the undrafted rookie running back or undrafted second-year running back who did have a great season lead our team if he's still going to be the leader of the backfield. So um, I, I, I do think that Robinson is going to get his share of carries. I do think that if he's the lead guy there, he's going to you know still be the workhorse. But as we've said time and time again, you know, is this all they're doing? Is it just Carlos Hyde and then backfilling with some you know, reserve guys who could play on special teams, or is it going to be, hey, let's get a significant pass catching back, or let's get maybe a lead back. You know, I mean, they have the draft capital to do it, depending on who falls in the second round. So it wouldn't shock me if they if they add another running back, but I, I would like to see James Robinson get a chance to build off what he did a year ago because he was successful, he was fun, and hopefully he can do it in a better offense in a better situation. Okay, Heath, let's talk about Minnesota and Tennessee. They actually were extremely, they were similar, and they were, I talked about this yesterday, but they were run heavy and also extremely efficient and had great years offensively. And they hired from within. Minnesota elevated Clint Kubiak. He was their quarterback coach. And Tennessee elevated Todd Downing. Yeah, Gary's son. So their former offensive coordinator's son. And Todd Downing, the tight ends coach, elevated to offensive coordinator for Tennessee. Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry, do you see any reason why they wouldn't be among the league leaders in carries, at least carries per game? No, I, if, if the only thing I would say, like I pretty much just am considering the Minnesota situation to be an extension of what they've had. Like they had Kubiak there. 
uh, two years ago when he wasn't the offensive coordinator, but he was kind of helping to run things. And then Kubiak was the offensive coordinator. And now Kubiak's kid's the offensive coordinator. And he'll be different than his dad, but we don't really know how yet. The one thing I will say, um, and you can kind of look at Arthur Smith's time in Tennessee and and a lot of the past four or five years, when we get first-time play callers, those teams often end up being lower-volume offensive plays or slower-paced offenses. I think probably because guys that have never called plays during NFL games take a little bit longer to figure out how to get through the playbook. Um, how does how does that? Sorry, do you have the data on how that compares to their previous seasons? Just because the one thing I'm thinking is that if you have a new offensive coordinator, that usually means you were bad the year before, and it usually means, um, you know, that your team probably got better in the first year, just because they're, you know, usually teams that play poorly in one year play better in this, in the next year in the NFL. So I just wonder if that's a, if that's a game script thing. These are probably the two bad examples because they're promoted yeah, yeah. from within, you know? And so um, to your well, point, Arthur Smith though, was I, promoted from within though. I'm sorry. Arthur Smith was promoted from within, but he'd never called plays. Well, I was going to say to your point, you probably feel more comfortable with Kubiak as opposed to Downing because being a quarterback's coach, there's a lot more involvement in what, the play calling maybe, and I would imagine he's got a lot more influence as opposed to the tight ends coach, you know, who's, you know, probably a little bit more focused on his position group having a say, obviously, but not the same say as the quarterback's coach. And clearly there's got to be more, much more conversation between Gary and his kid, as opposed to Arthur Smith and Todd Downing. The diff, the only thing that's a correlation as well is that that's what Arthur Smith was promoted from. He was the tight ends coach with the Titans when he got promoted to offensive coordinator. So the Titans are following the same game plan that they, you know, just did in promoting tight ends coach to offense coordinator. These two teams were tied for fourth in yards per play. Texans were one, Packers two, Chiefs three, and then Tennessee and Minnesota tied for fourth. Uh, I don't one know, thing I'll say else? In, yeah. in Downing's favor is that I do believe he called plays um, in 2017 with the Raiders. He was a coordinator, yeah, offense coordinator. Okay. They didn't have like an offensive head coach who would. It was Jack Del Rio, Del Rio so and, I'm pretty sure it was Todd Downing that was calling the plays. Yeah, yeah I think he was, in, he was bad at it. <laughs> in both situations, I think it's you know, it's about continuity, and the you know the, they're not going to change what these teams do um, too much. So I, I don't think either one of them makes a huge difference. I, I do think though you could see, and and Heath, you sort of touched on this, a, a little difference for the Vikings because. You're starting to hear, like, you know, I, I said this yesterday, Mike Zimmer seems to be a little bit more open to the fact of we have some playmakers who can catch the ball, including Dalvin Cook. And so, you know, it's not just let's baby Kirk Cousins. You have to score in the NFL. You have to be productive in the passing game in the NFL. You can't just, you know, run it three, you know, run it twice and hope your you know quarterback bails you out on third and long situations if that's the case. So I think you're going to see him allow Kubiak to be a little bit more open with the offense. That being said, if they get off to a bad start, then you may get the the, the change in, in philosophy and the change of tune. But their defense is going to be better. Their defense was terrible last year. Yeah. And these young kids are going to grow up. They're going to get pass rushers. It's going to be a better better unit on that side of the ball. Just a matter of how much will that in fact influence what Zimmer has Kubiak do on the offensive side. We're going to save Atlanta for last. But here are some other teams. I think we, we just kind of touched on Atlanta with Tennessee. <laughs> Well, I think but it's did, more interesting. Right, right. That's why we'll save it. We'll save it. Uh, there, here are the other teams that could be part of this discussion. You guys tell me which teams stand out as as 
maybe teams that could change things up, be good or bad for the running back in place. Houston has a new head coach, David Culley. He was Baltimore's passing game coordinator, uh, but they are keeping Tim Kelly as their offensive coordinator who's been their OC for, for two, two seasons. This will be his third. Indianapolis lost Nick Sirianni. Frank Reich is still the head coach, but they promoted Marcus Brady from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator. Um, we got Reich Miami calling plays. I think so. I think Frank Reich I think calls plays in both Houston and Indy. I, th- I think it's more about the personnel changes that are that have happened in Indy, and we'll see in Houston. But. You know, if Deshaun Watson's still a quarterback in Houston, I wouldn't expect much to change. But with Carson Wentz replacing Phillip Rivers, that is a pretty significant change in the abilities of the quarterback. You know, Phillip Rivers is one of the least mobile quarterbacks in the NFL to Carson Wentz, who, you know, can make plays with his legs. Uh, I think one change we'll probably see is just fewer passes to the running backs in Indy, just because of not necessarily because of the coaching change, but just because of the QB change. Well, and let me go back to Houston and just give you this stat. Houston, so I said Tim Kelly's been their offensive coordinator for two seasons. 2019, defensively, Houston was 19th in scoring defense, and they were 12th in rush attempts. In 2020, they were horrible defensively. They were 27th in scoring defense, and they were 31st in rush attempts. So maybe that's something to keep in mind. They were also last in plays. Houston ran the fewest plays last year. Uh, but they did average the most yards per play. Miami. I don't think Kelly was calling plays in 2019, though. Right, that's true. It's Bill O'Brien. And, you know, Houston's run-pass splits are always skewed by the fact that Watson runs so much. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he gets sacked so much. You know, you're probably looking at 100 designed passes that turn into runs per season for Houston. Right. Miami's and got two off. Watson's not there, it's a crowded backfield on a very bad team. Yeah. Yeah, if Watson's not there, it's... You just kind of probably avoid that team, except for maybe Brandon Cooks. Okay, Miami's got two offensive coordinators uh, who were the tight end and running backs coach. Philadelphia's got Nick Sirianni now and Shane Steichen as offensive coordinator. Matt Canada took over as the offensive coordinator for for Pittsburgh. The Seahawks have formerly the Rams passing game coordinator, Shane Waldron. And San Francisco hired from within Mike McDaniel. He was their run game coordinator. Heath, most interesting one here. Kind of funny that the Seahawks hired a uh, passing game coordinator. <laughs> um, but no, especially because it seemed like the issue with uh, Schottenheimer was Pete Carroll wanted to run more. I don't. Yeah, I don't have any idea what Seattle's like fully going to do, but I would anticipate that they will be a little bit more creative in the way they use DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and their schemes will be a little bit more sophisticated in the passing game. Um, it will be interesting to see how they involve the tight ends, um, specifically which tight ends, but that, that was at times a big part of the Rams thing. The one thing you would think that you would learn from being with Sean McVay and the Rams is not to really have tendencies that make it easy for us to project what you're going to do. <laughs> and that's, you know, speaking of the tight ends, that's Gerald Everett said that's the reason he went there. Yeah. Was because of the coach. Jamie, do you think Miles Sanders will be a workhorse under Nick Sirianni? I think he'll be close to what we hoped he was going to be going into the season because look at the personnel. That's really, I think, what it's more about. You know, I mean, they don't have another guy that profiles like him right now. It's not Boston Scott. Well, Hold on, let me... Hey, Siri, 
Will Miles Sanders be a workhorse under Nick Sirianni? Not the magic eight ball. (laughs) Miles Sanders is a running back for the Eagles. That's all she knows. All right. Uh, Any thoughts on I think you should be excited about Miles Sanders going into, you know, hopefully a healthy season and little competition as a no. Okay. Um, the Dolphins scare the crap out of me, and it might work. Oh. Like it might, this might be a new thing where teams decide this is. Um, it 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 really, really scares me. Why? Well, you know, the, the, all all this really could be is giving two guys a title. The one you got to worry about is who's calling plays. If they're both calling plays in a game situation, you're the first half guy. You're the second half guy. You take quarters one and three. I'll take quarters two and four. That's the problem. No way. But, you know, I mean, there are guys all around the league that have assistant head coaching titles that they don't have any influence on the play calling on game day unless they're a coordinator. So I think from what I understand, Chad O'Shea is going to be the one calling the plays. So as long as he does what he should be able to do, which is, you know, continue to give whoever the running back is there the amount of touches that we saw last year, because it was great. Gaskin was great when he was healthy. Javon Ahmed, when he got his opportunity, was great. It was only after they got past the, the Jordan Howard crap to start the season. Then that guy became really good. Yeah, and it, it was kind of like Jacksonville in that, you know, when Miles Gaskin was healthy, when Savon Ahmed was healthy, when Gaskin wasn't, Gaskin wasn't. Uh, it was mostly just one running back playing like 70% of the snaps and getting, you know, 85% of the touches. This was actually, uh, you know, in situation neutral context, this was actually the, the 10th uh, pass happiest team in the NFL. Um, you know, they, they ran the ball more than you, than that makes it seem because they had so many situations where the defense put them in a good spot and they didn't have to throw the ball, but the, the Dolphins actually, you know, in in situation in neutral situations, uh, so the score within seven points, they threw the ball fifty eight point three percent of the time. Yeah. By the way, Jamie, not Chad O'Shea. They've, he's he was their former OC. He got fired. Um, before, what am I thinking? It's Studisville and Godsey that are taking over. Uh, he, so he was their offensive coordinator. He's now on the Browns coaching staff. But. Yeah, Studisville is who I'm thinking of. Okay, yeah. So he's the running backs coach that is one of their co-offensive coordinators. All right, finally, the Atlanta Falcons. The the Falcons will be a blank offense this year, Heath. I I am currently projecting them to be a more run-heavy than league average offense. That's a weird sentence. The Falcons will be a, I am currently projecting them to be. Well, I don't know. Like I would assume they're going to be a fairly successful offense. They have lots of talent. Um, Except at running back. The question is, are they going to be a, a passing offense or, or a running offense? And I, the draft will help mold my feelings on that, but right now I'm still projecting them to be the most pass-heavy offense that Arthur Smith has ever led and a more run-heavy offense than league average. And Chris? Uh, I I still think, given the personnel, given the you know what they've been, I, I don't think they're going to be a particularly run-heavy team. You have them projected for the most pass attempts in the NFL, right? I believe so, yeah. And it, you know, maybe I can come down from that, but given what it looks like right now, I just have a hard time seeing a team with Mike Davis, Brian Hill, and Ito Smith 
running the ball 450 times. I one, I just think that would kind of be a bad idea. <laughs> like, I just don't think that's the the best usage of your offense. And my assumption is generally, especially with a guy like Arthur Smith, who's been really good or had a lot of success as an OC so far, is that he's going to fit his approach to the players he has rather than the other way around. Like, I don't think if he had been the Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator the last two years instead of the Titans, that Todd Gurley would have rushed the ball 330 times or whatever Derrick Henry did last season. Chris, were you a fan of the OC, that show? The first season's really good. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I just don't I was think I've ever seen it. Big Phantom Planet fan. It became my favorite band in high school, actually. Yeah, a great, yeah. uh, unbelievable soundtrack in season one, especially in the okay. OC. Very right. good. I've never seen an episode. I just I've heard the theme song. Jamie, who runs the ball more? Non-quarterback runs. Who runs the ball more? The Seahawks or the Falcons? The Seahawks. Now I've got to look and see who I have more projected for more runs. Bar- barring a shock in the first round, you know, I mean, the Falcons could trade down and then they get Najee Harris, and then that probably changes some things. I, I saw a mock today that didn't have any running backs in the first round. Yeah, it was uh, Daniel Jeremiah's. The nap, not a, but if you read it, like he said, with Pittsburgh, there's a spot they can go running back, but uh, they took he had him taking an offensive line. Like that was the first thing I looked at because the headline I saw said yeah. no running backs in the first round. So I went to teams that needed running back help. Yeah, I've got the Seahawks running the ball roughly 80 times more than the Falcons. Wow, it's just it's just a matter again. It's it's personnel, you know. Yeah. So if it's if it's just Mike Davis, they're clearly going to run the ball more regardless because yes. of the coach. That that goes without saying. You have to take pressure off of Matt Ryan. You have to take pressure off of what this team looks like right now. But you know, they can still go offensive tackle at four in the NFL draft. Upgrade their offensive line come back and get a day two or day three running back, and that guy could still be their featured option. Yeah. Obviously, it's so hard to talk about the draft because player teams are going to trade into the first round or move around and have picks that we didn't anticipate. But right now, Pittsburgh at 24. <sighs> what we, uh, the, Jet, the Jets at 23, Pittsburgh at 24, Jacksonville at 25. Shopping. Yeah, I Falcons mean, could move down. Buffalo at 30. Maybe... Uh, Maybe Kansas City will pick another running back at 31. Uh, the, the thing about Arthur Smith is, like, you know, he's coming from a situation where, as the offense coordinator, that team was very successful. And so, do you go away from what your identity is as a play caller? And so, that's what we're going to find out. Like, to Chris's point, does he take the tools that he has and make that work? Or does he make his system work based on what the personnel could be? So, until we see what they do with their running back situation. If it's currently constructed as it is, then you should love Mike Davis because he probably is going to get a lot of work. But if it changes, then who knows? Well, I am going to go make some ad drops to the team that Jamie and I share. Jamie, you'll see it in the waiver report tomorrow. Thank Uh, you. Yeah, you're very welcome. And uh, thank you all for listening to today's show. We're coming back on Thursday. We're going to have Emery Hunt joining us to break down the quarterback prospects in the NFL draft. And on Fantasy Football Today in 5, Emery Hunt will be on Thursday and Friday to talk about some of the wide receivers. Last week, he talked about uh, six or seven of the best wide receivers in the NFL draft. Now we'll talk about maybe the guys that are going to go in rounds two and three. Maybe some will sneak into round one. You never know what order they're going to be drafted in. But check that out on Fantasy Football Today in 5. And by the way, before I go, I have to remind you about the First Cut podcast. This is a big golf week, obviously. It's Masters week. The First Cut 
uh, golf podcast is uh, is where their entire crew will be previewing this year's tournament. Storylines to picks, even daily fantasy advice. The First Cut has you covered. The First Cut Golf Podcast is available wherever you're listening to this podcast. See you later, everybody. We'll talk to you on Thursday with Emory Hunt. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.